Welcome to the next in a series of Ask a Chair podcasts brought to you by SAEM Rams. We're here with Dr. Robert Levine. Dr. Levine is considered one of, if not the, founding fathers of critical care and emergency medicine and is credited with bringing the emergent airway into the realm of EM practice. Dr. Levine, thank you so much for agreeing to speak with us. I know that our residents and medical students really appreciate your thoughts. Um, So like I said, you are considered one of the founding fathers of EM critical care and an authority in EM critical care management. How did you do that? What's the secret to your success? The uh, secret to my success is just uh, perseverance, I guess. Uh, I was always interested in taking care of sick patients and loved emergency medicine. And the part about emergency medicine that thrilled me the most was taking care of the sickest patients. And I had great role models. None of us really ever create something. Uh, I I really grew up on on, uh, the work of others. And I would tell you, Norm Abramson was one of uh, my role models. Another gentleman named Mike Jostramski at my medical school came back and gave grand rounds. And uh, I looked at him and I said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And between those two guys and, uh, and really a whole series of other people who are founders in our field, uh, it gave me the gleam and the belief that I could combine the two fields. Uh, unfortunately for me, I've always been about 20 years ahead in certain aspects <laughs> of my career. And this was one of them where I was told without any doubt that there was no reason for anybody to go into emergency medicine. And mm-hmm. then with even uh, more seriousness, people told me that uh, there was no way to combine EM and critical care medicine. Because in those days, uh, emergency medicine doctors were considered like a secondary thing that people didn't go into unless mm-hmm. they couldn't make it in, quote, real medicine. And as you know, today, so many years later, uh, 35 years later, uh, emergency medicine is, is just a, the best way to get into critical care medicine. And I think appropriately, we're starting to see uh, emergency departments develop critical care within the department, which mm-hmm. is just absolutely fantastic for us and for patient care in general. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, And I think we kind of have touched on the next question already. Um, What inspired you to pursue critical care? You talked about some of your mentors um, who led you in the field. So did you always know that this was something you wanted to do or kind of what was your uh, what was your aha moment that led you into critical care? That's a great question. And it's funny because I always knew I wanted to be a pediatrician. (laughs) And um, when I rotated in pediatrics in medical school, I thought to myself, this is so boring. And um, except for when the kids were really sick. And then Mm -hmm. I I said, wow, this is so overwhelming. And so it didn't fit. And uh, I remember being in the intensive care unit because emergency medicine didn't exist in many places in the United States back then. And we we did not have an emergency medicine program. So I was I was at internal medicine grand rounds and this guy walked in wearing green scrubs and uh, gave the most amazing presentation about taking care of sick patients. And then I noticed that the surgeons paid attention to everything he said and the internists paid attention to everything he said. And he was dealing with cutting edge stuff. Uh, and it, it really uh, catered to my need for speed, kind mm-hmm. of like the most emergency medicine people. I loved to get my hands wet and intervene. And this guy did everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, his name is Mike Jostromsky. He wrote the uh, whole emergency medicine catalog in about 1980 or something like that. And I thought, wow, that's really great. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another uh, fascination of mine was always with cardiac arrest. And I was lucky to train in a few different places. I worked with Joe Redding, who uh, invented the drug therapy for cardiac arrest. 
in the early 60s and then went uh, deliberately to do my fellowship in critical care with Peter Saffer and Aki Grenvik in Pittsburgh. Peter is the one who invented uh, the airway and, and breathing mm -hmm. uh, that led with Kubenhofer, Judy Knickerbocker and Hopkins to ACLS as we know it today. And so those were kind of the formative moments for me that led me into the path that I like, which is resuscitation, take care of really sick people. And I have just the most amazing role models to take after. Um, I, in my program at Cincinnati, we often refer to those that paved the way in our specialty. And we kind of word it as those who um, fought the battles that we don't have to fight anymore, um, instrumental in bringing, and since you were so instrumental in bringing the airway into EM practice, um, it's one of the battles that has been fought for us. One of, and so what would you say are our biggest challenges now? What are the, the battles that we still have to fight or kind of the barriers to our role in critical care? Well, I, I, first I would say, I, I'm not your airway guy. I'm not. Um, <laughs> some of the work I did had to do with cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I've always been kind of like a countercurrent person. And mm -hmm. so um, a long time ago when uh, we realized how poorly the outcome was from pulsoselectual activity and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and people around the country said, we should no longer resuscitate those people. And Paul Pepe, another one of the great guys in the beginning of the field, and I published an article showing that one-third of our cardiac arrest survivors come from patients with PEA or asystole. And as you know, today, there's been a trend to have more and more patients uh, being first seen with those rhythms rather than ventricular fibrillation, mm -hmm. which in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s was the most common rhythm. And then uh, we uh, did another study uh, working with a brilliant creative guy named Marvin Wayne, who's out in Bellingham, Washington. Uh, and we looked at entitled CO2 for cardiac arrest and found that we could predict uh, with pretty good certainty who was not going to make it. And that's why today in the algorithm, we usually measure entitled CO2 to see how good the cardiac uh, circulation is with chest compression. Mm -hmm. So uh, those were kind of where I got started. The barriers to our specialty today are uh, the volume, I think, and the changing nature of the workload. Uh, mm -hmm. Our emergency departments have become the uh, the only place that people can really go when they're sick. And so we're seeing place, uh, places that used to have volumes of 20,000, 30,000 a year, now with over 100,000 patients a year. It's mind boggling that you can go into different places and they have the equivalent of three or four football fields of rooms in their emergency mm -hmm. department for people to be seen. And I think that that's an issue for the country. It's a political solution that's needed to address healthcare disparities in the United States. And I think that EM is a cutting edge of that because we're most aware of it and we're the people who take care of anyone, anytime. Certainly. Um, what would you say is your best advice if you had one morsel that you could give medical students or residents who want to pursue a career in emergency medicine and critical care, what would you want them to walk away with? Well, the emergency medicine part's easy because I think uh, where I'm on the faculty now and the chair, uh, the students love what we do for a living, and so I don't have to sell emergency medicine anymore. <laughs> That's the easy part. The combination of EM and critical care, though, is becoming better established, and I'll mm -hmm. have usually one or two students here that, that come to me and say, I want to do emergency medicine or critical care, and I no longer have to tell them that um, it's not possible mm -hmm. because uh, while 35 years ago or so, uh, I, I wrote away to the Board of Emergency Medicine uh, saying that I uh, was interested in the combination and they said, oh, in a year or two we'll have boards in emergency in critical care. And they said, so you don't have to worry about that. 
and that was more than 30 years ago. And at this point, we're kind of in a different position. And so it's easy for me to tell the students, we're kind of in the driver's seat. With 24-hour uh, coverage taking place around the country in intensive care units, with fewer pulmonary people going into critical care, with the background and training that we have, there's nobody better trained and able to do critical care than emergency medicine people. So it's, it's a terrific combination. And where we had to fight to get boards with many people going to Europe for it, in my case, I finished my training in internal medicine in order to be able to practice critical care medicine as well as EM. Uh, that's not the case anymore. And I think now the boards, the other specialty boards are coming to us and saying, you know, we'd like you to train with us and work with us. And uh, that's good for care all around because it means that we're going to have one level of care throughout the hospital because emergency medicine does that for everyone. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on um, the different pathways into critical care, be it the internal medicine route versus the anesthesia route? Any pros and cons? Um, yes, I do. I think emergency medicine is the single best path into critical care medicine. I remember uh, when I trained at Pitt in critical care medicine, they were astounded that I did better than everyone else in the entire group, and that included surgeons, cardiac anesthesiologists, pulmonary physicians, and they said, how was this guy with an emergency medicine mm -hmm. background doing so well? And there were a couple of possibilities. One was I was brilliant, but it was probably not the <laughs> reason, and the other one was I had been trained better than anyone else there uh, in my residency at uh, Grady, working with Corey Slovis and John Stone, to do everything that intensivists do. Mm -hmm. And so I had the skill sets, the cognitive uh, background to take care of critically ill patients. So anesthesia is great, but it covers a small part. Uh, pulmonary medicine is great, but really pulmonary medicine is a, a specialty in its own right that has only a little bit to do with critical care medicine. So I think we are actually the best way to get into it. Surgery is great, again, covers part of it. Internal medicine is mm -hmm. great, covers part of it. But we do all of this. Mm -hmm. Was there anything that surprised you about um, the EM critical care? Anything you didn't know going in that you would want to warn someone? The thing that, that surprised me so many years ago was that the politics was so slow in evolution. And I think that an emergency medicine resident who wants to do critical care has more options today. But again, I think they should think uh, going forward about what is my life going to look like. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very biased and perhaps have become old-fashioned as I've gotten older. But I think that critical care and emergency medicine are overlapping related fields, but they're not the same. Mm -hmm. To me, emergency medicine is shift work. Uh, you, there's very few people who could come in and work 24 hours, seven days straight in, in, in today's EDs. It's, it's so stressful and so busy. But critical care is different. Critical care has more of a circadian rhythm to it. It has an ebb and flow. And more important is that you have patients that you need to know on a day-to-day -day basis. In the EG, I see the patient once. I might see mm -hmm. them as a bounce back, perhaps. But I really see each patient as an individual unit. In the intensive care unit for us as emergency medicine physicians, we need to learn to have that kind of dedication to the patient. To me, the biggest obstacle is this trend towards 24-hour coverage with teams staffing similar to the way we do in the ED. That's a big disservice to the patients and their families who never really get to develop a physician-patient relationship. And that's, that's a big issue. Mm -hmm. Um, transitioning a little bit out of the specific role of critical care and into more of your role as the department chair, um, 
is there anything in particular that you look for in a new hire? What are what are the things on the resume that stand out to you the most? Well, I, I, I like to go through uh, where they trained, where they came from. Mm -hmm. But mostly I like to see if they have the gleam. What have they done so far? And, and that, those are all knowable in advance. Are they academically oriented? Are they somebody who's clinically oriented that wants to work shifts and teach at the bedside, which is the bulk of what what I see in faculty members. And then where do they want to go? It, it, the ones that come to me that say in five years I want to do this or in 10 years I want to be that, I can work with. Mm -hmm. The ones who come and say, I just, I, I love to teach, that's kind mm -hmm. of too vague and nebulous. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, they're undifferentiated, but sometimes it's hard to get them to become differentiated. So I like to see the spark where people have ambition. I've had uh, people come and say, I want to be the editor of that journal. That, that's easy for me to work with them. And so uh, that's kind of that self-motivation that drives them. Being a faculty member is often associated with getting paid a little bit less, uh, working actually longer hours, not less mm -hmm. hours. And so it has to be the kind of person who says, I love doing this. And uh, that usually comes across in, in interviews fairly well. Mm -hmm. So ambition is the main thing that you're looking for. Well, ambition sounds negative. I would say, <laughs> I would say drive. Okay. I, I would really say drives to be the best that they could be. Mm -hmm. They have a passion for something. It could be internet um, knowledge distribution. It could be mm -hmm. giving lectures. It could be in administration. It doesn't matter what your passion is. But people who have drive who come in and say, I want to make things, I want to make this a better place. Mm -hmm. They're great faculty. Because they're idealistic. They haven't lost that. Excellent. Um, any other advice that you'd like to give our resident and student listeners. This is directed towards medical students and residents who are interested in emergency medicine. What would you like them to know? I would like them to know that um, learning and being the best should be come from within, not from without. Uh, it took me a long time to realize that I can't make somebody learn. I can only offer them opportunities to learn. And the best students, the best residents are the ones who say, I don't understand that. And and go look it up and, and push me to be a better physician at the same time. Some of the research we published have come purely from questions that a student or resident raised. And uh, if you're intellectually honest as the attending and you say, I don't know, then that just opened up a door for you to do a project because mm -hmm. no one else probably knows either. And so, uh, so that kind of intellectual curiosity, passion to be the best you to be is what every patient deserves. And those are, uh, Probably the ways we, all of us, throughout our careers, remain students and, and uh, live our lives like that. Thank you so much, Dr. Levine, um, for taking the time to sit and talk with us today. I know that our medical students and residents really appreciate your thoughts, um, and thank you again. Thanks for having me, and you're very welcome.